Thank you, Kristen. What a wonderful job of leading us to honor the, the name of our Lord and to lead us in uh, focusing our desires on Him. A number of years ago, I, met, I went with 10 students to the inner, inner city Chicago. We stayed at a youth mission there helping out in an elementary school and with kids' clubs. The mission was located at the nexus of four corners. Each corner of that quadrant of the city had separate gangs. It was an interesting neighborhood. The police cars were riddled with bullets, with bullet holes. Probably the bullets were still in there. Open drug deals. See them on the streets as you walk down the streets. The teacher's parking lot at the elementary school, eight-foot-high chain-link fence, razor wire on top. Armed guards packing a pistol, patrolling as the kids would come and go from the school. I had a great time. I was in the kindergarten class. This big, tall guy with these little kids had a super time. The majority of those kids in that class were wearing the colors of their gang member siblings. All four gangs were represented in that class. Nothing was planned for Sunday night, so a student and I decided to see if we could catch the Oilers-Blackhawks game, which was down at the United Center, about 20 blocks away. We were told that we could catch a bus there and it would drop us off about three blocks away from the arena. We'd walk. So we started out taking, walking the bus route and thinking, okay, oh, the bus isn't coming, so we keep walking. Bus isn't coming. All of a sudden it hit us. I don't know, both at once. The bus isn't coming. Ah, Sunday schedule. Ah, somebody told us wrong. So we walked the rest of the way. But on the way there, we realized that we'd have to walk the rest of the way back. 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. 20 blocks. Scariest walk of my life. But there was, the risk was lessened somewhat. We were told if that you were a tall white guy walking at that time of night, the risk was lessened because you were probably seen as a pastor or as a social worker, so you'd be okay. In 1687, 1678, let's get this thing going here. Are we there? Woo! Good. Paul Bunyan wrote this famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come. The entire book is an allegorical dream sequence of this man named Christian, an everyday character journeying from the city of destruction to the celestial city. After Christian reaches the place of deliverance, here you'll see the place of deliverance on this map, on the left-hand panel, a little over the halfway up. The place of deliverance was where the cross was and the, and the empty tomb. After Christian reaches that, He's relieved of his burden, and he walks on. But he encounters three 
men. One name simple, another name sloth, another presumption. And the journey of the rest of his life is filled with challenges. He comes to the hill of difficulty and meets the well-dressed formality and hypocrisy. Then he meets danger and destruction. Christian, now clothed with the armor of God, battles the demonic Apollyon in the valley of humiliation, and then moves on to find, uh, moves on through the valley of the shadow of death. He teams up with a new friend named Hopeful, and they come to a mining hill called Lucre, where a man named Demas tries to take them off into the track and divert them with riches, but they refuse, only to be later captured by the giant named Despair, who has a wife by the name of Defiance. Interesting. Captures them, puts them in the Doubting Castle, and there they're beaten and starved. They escape, only to face the angelic-like flatterer, then the atheist, then little faith, then ignorance. Eventually, they make it through the dangerous enchanted ground and ultimately cross the river of death to the celestial city. The believer's life, as depicted in Scripture, is often defined as a walk, as a journey, a pilgrimage. Galatians 5 talks about it as a walk in the Spirit, but it's not like the walk in the park. Like John Bunyan's pilgrim, the road is full of dangers and deceptions and diversions. In fact, it's a spiritual conflict. It's a spiritual war zone, a battle between the spirit and the flesh. God is at war against all that is against him. But in his son, Jesus, and we're so thankful for that, God destroyed the power of sin. He overturned the rule of Satan. And now by the gift of the Holy Spirit, through faith, Believers are enabled to follow Christ in this new creation. But, because we're still embodied in this fleshly body, that journey is hampered by many obstacles. Obstacles that could be biological or physical, psychosocial issues, ethical issues, spiritual issues. Constantly, or consequently rather, we now experience a profound internal conflict. Before becoming believers, Paul tells us in Ephesians that we lived in lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind. But now, brothers and sisters, as believers in in God, now filled with the resident Holy Spirit, God has brought us a new alternative motivation, guiding the believer toward God-centered desires, God-centered emotions, God-centered attitudes, God-centered actions. 
It doesn't come from any goodness that we have in ourselves. It's God. Through the agency of the Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate source of this Christian virtue and who is the resistance against this flesh. But believers have a role to play. We're to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. As co-dependent, let me flip that, as dependent co-agents, <laughs> some of us might be co-dependent as well. We're dependent co-agents with the Holy Spirit. We become, as believers, increasingly more free to be using our energies in the sphere of the Spirit rather than the flesh. The practical import of what Kristen read out of Romans chapter 8 at the front of the, front of the worship package is the good news that the flesh and the spirit are not equal forces in the Christian life. Now that believers are indwelt by the spirit, the deepest and truest parts of our innermost beings is a new state of spiritual union with Christ. We have entered into a new stage in our story. We've been given a new identity. Indeed, the very fact that we are in an inner conflict tells us that we're walking in the Spirit. Last week, Kelly led us to understand the wisdom that believers possess by the Spirit. Ah, good tea. That's all it is. <laughs> Kelly talked from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But if you just jump just a few verses forward, you end up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And what is Paul talking about there? He's talking about the Corinthians who are divisive and quarreling. So where's the wisdom of the Spirit there? Though they were spiritual brothers, their lives are still characterized by the deeds of the flesh that they could be called worldly and fleshly. They hadn't matured to the point in their lives where they could be said that they were more spiritual. The passage suggests that Christians can be dominated by old patterns of living. They can get stuck in this stage throughout their life. If we just flip back to Romans chapter 7, just previous to what Kristen read, it reminds us that we cannot rescue ourselves because we all have this principle of sin or evil in us, which we are powerless to resist in and of ourselves. But thanks be to God, we can overcome it through Christ. Paul's point in all of this is that renewal is a continuing process. That's why he says in Philippians chapter 2, we need to continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us. It's not us ourselves. It's God who works in us to will and to act 
in order to fulfill his good purpose. That renewal process. Yeah, I'm not as coordinated as I think I am here. There we go. That renewal process is initiated by Christ's resurrection. And it's carried out now by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it involves an exchange. It involves an, <laughs> it involves an exchange between the old self and the new self. Between the old system and the new system. The old self, the old system, where sin indwells me, is contrasted to the new system, where it's the law of the mind, a mind that's being renewed and transformed, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12. The old system is ruled by the law of sin. The new system is ruled by the law of the spirit of life. The old system is in the flesh with all of its proclivities. The new system is a new self with the fruit of the Spirit. The old system is the old self. Or, or it, rather, the old system is bounded in the world and all the lusts of the world. The fear, the shame, the bondage, the punishment that comes with, with that. The new system is alive in Christ, in the Spirit, in love, in freedom of, God, of being God's child. Brothers and sisters, that old self is crucified. Do you believe it? The old self is crucified. When we're, we come, come to Christ, that's what's happened. But thanks to be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, God set things right in this life of contradictions. This life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind and yet I'm being pulled away. That tension by the influence of sin to do something totally different. This is the role of the indwelling spirit in the establishment of this new orientation, fighting against the flesh, undermining its resistance, and producing the virtuous fruit of the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit is ultimately the one who enables this. But the new self-system encompasses all of the old, it encompasses all of our memories. It encompasses all of our attitudes. It encompasses all of our beliefs, all of our values, all of our old relational styles. But it also includes all of the new stuff, all of the new beliefs, all of the new memories, all of the new emotions all the new actions, all these together are being transformed by Christ, redeemed. The goal of the Christian is to walk in the Spirit, which entails focusing one's consciousness 
on God and the things above and living out that awareness. It's a gradual increase in the proportion of one's total being toward the influence of the Spirit. In the last two chapters of Galatians, Paul gives instructions uh, for the Christian life. In chapter 5, in chapter 5, as we briefly note at the beginning, <clears throat> excuse me, he notes this battle between the spirit and the flesh, and it's described thusly. Paul says, So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes on, he contrasts the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. I won't go into all of that. I think you know them. But he says they're obvious. So if they're obvious, you know what they are, right? Um, and then he contrasts with the, with the fruit of the Spirit. Going on to say, Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Then he goes on and talks a little more, gives a few more instructions about the Christian life. And then he comes into chapter 6 and verse uh, 7. He says this, giving us a little bit of an illustration of how this thing works. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This principle of sowing and reaping, it's not just one that applies to crop science. It actually applies to life. It applies to our spiritual life. It applies to our physical life. It applies to believers. It applies to non-believers. In fact, this principle of sowing and reaping is so embedded in our lives that I would suggest to you it is the primary process by which we operate. The principle of sowing and reaping describes literally the function of our neural architecture. Where we fire, we hardwire. When our synapses are fired, or where our synapses are fired, we focus on um, we focus on something. And when we focus on something, it's there where they're wired. When we continue to keep firing on that thing, and when the synapses keep firing on that thing, what happens is that they become hardwired, they become stronger. Stronger to the point of even canceling out previous synaptic routings. The basic formula for learning goes like this. 
whole thing on there? Okay. Goes like this. Desire coupled with emotion, with the added factor of attention, equals attraction. This process is basic. It's happening right now. It happens for those who are addicted. This is the basic fundamental process of learning. It's how we all operate. Desire coupled with emotion. Every thought that you have has an accompanying emotion. Functional MRI, show us that. When you couple that emotion, you pay a little bit of attention to it, what happens is, is that you're attracted to it. That attraction leads to actions and behaviors. And when those actions and behaviors feel pleasurable and good, what do you do? I need more. I want more. And so you increase the experience, which then just strengthens the formula. More desire or heightened desire plus heightened emotion plus increased attention equals more attraction. And we get this cycle going. When this formula is focused on the things of the flesh, James 1.15 says this, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's where this can lead you when you walk in the flesh. When this formula is focused on the things of the Spirit, Paul reminds us that the one who sows to the Spirit receives eternal life. Laws of sowing and reaping. Three laws that Paul points out here. You reap, first of all, you reap in kind as you sow. Verse 7 in Galatians 6, Paul says, Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever you plant is exactly what you're going to harvest. Where you fire, you're going to hardwire. But there's a warning. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Don't think that you can sow in the flesh without repercussions. Back in chapter 3, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, (laughs) you're doing it. Who's fooled you? Who's bewitched you? Who's led you astray? Who's deceived you? Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So we have within us a force for deceit. So let's let's sow with a view to righteousness, as Hosea says. Reap in a, when we sow with a view to, right, view to righteousness, we reap in accordance with kindness. Break up the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord until He comes to rain righteousness upon you. You reap in kind as you sow. 
you reap more than you sow. Galatians 9 says, for the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Why do farmers plant seeds? So they can get one more seed back for the one they put in the ground? <laughs> don't think so. They expect to harvest a great deal more than they sow. Every seed can have dozens of other seeds, can yield dozens of other seeds. It's the same way with both sin and righteousness. A small decision to do either good or bad reaps a much bigger crop for either joy or sorrow. You reap more than you sow. And lastly, you reap in a different season than you sow. Let us not lose heart in doing good, Paul says, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. At some point, some of the Galatians, and maybe some of you are thinking, huh, man, I've, been, I, I've really been sowing a lot of, of good things this year. I've really endeavored to walk in the Spirit and follow God. But when does that harvest come? Friends, it comes due in due time. And due time is God's time. In God's season, God makes everything beautiful in His time, the writer to Ecclesiastes said. But if you're anything like me, I'm like a little child when it comes to sowing and reaping. I want to sow and reap the same day. I'm sowing, Lord. The sowing's hard. I'm getting tired. And I don't know if I'm seeing what I'm really expecting to see here. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart in doing good. Don't lose heart in doing the right things. Don't lose heart in moving forward in results that push the fruit of the Spirit out in your life. As you finish off this year, don't let the good things which have happened to you this year be lost. Don't be bewitched. Don't be led away. Don't be deceived by the desires of the flesh. The friends you've met here and the relationships that you've pulled together and grown to show love and receive love in, don't turn away from them when you leave here. You may be just, some of those friendships may be just paused for the summer. Some for maybe years. But over the next couple of weeks, to endeavor, find ways to say goodbye in good ways. And to do so with a pledge to continue that relationship in a meaningful way. I know some of you guys have really thrown your intent that way and done that by flinging a ring. Uh, 
So kudos to you. But the things that you've learned here, don't abandon them. Treasure them. Don't leave here and sow the wind. That's a huge temptation. Here you are in this dynamic, closed, and close environment with a higher degree of accountability than maybe you've ever had before for your walk and for your spiritual walk. Don't be led away by evil desires when you leave here just because your accountability may be less out there. You may still be struggling today, dealing with heavy issues in your life. Don't abandon the truth now. In the midst of the battle, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Do the good things. Do the right things. Do that which produces the fruit of the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to be alive in your life. Brothers and sisters, I charge you, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, may we have ears to hear that which is pertinent to our lives. Take that which has been maybe communicated awkwardly. Take those parts of it that are that by your spirit you can drill into our hearts. Take those parts that are needful for us to walk with today and tomorrow and in the weeks ahead so that indeed we can glorify you and walk by the Spirit. To this end, we give thanks. Amen. For those of you who are in my classes and know my signature at the end, be warmed, be filled, be gone.